0: This is a Founding Media Podcast. Welcome to Science in the Mall, y'all. I'm your host, Dan Dillard. Some people have direct paths to success. Others weave their own stories. Yash Sabarwal is one of those people. From working optics, cancer research to now working in nanomedical systems. Yash has had a very indirect path. Nanomedical Systems is a company currently exploring how we can use nanotechnology to solve large problems. Let's hear more about Yash and how having an affordable space like ACC Bioscience Incubator allows us for innovation to thrive. So here's one example of science happening in the mall, y'all. So Yash, I'm really curious. One thing we've been talking about offline is opioid addiction. And the impact that the work that you're doing, can you explain more?
1: Yeah, so um, you know, at, at NanoMedical, we we one of our the founding technologies of the company is a very specialized uh, implant. It's a nanotechnology implant that allows you to deliver drug at a constant rate for months at a time, and it sort of takes the patient out of the decision process. And so, for drugs that are really critical um, t- to your treatment in terms of uh, adherence. Um, you know, uh, and also not um, making sure that the drug gets diverted for uses that, uses that are not appropriate. Um, you know, our technology can have uh, uh, can solve a lot of these problems. And so, one of the areas, obviously, where uh, you know we f- we feel, and not just us, but a lot of other groups feel, you know, our our, uh, our our technology has application is in the area of opioid addiction. Right. So, right now, you have a you have a scenario where people who are addicted and start to seek treatment. Um, you know, they have to go to clinics regularly, uh, you know, uh, fairly frequently to get their medications uh, because in some ways the medication they're taking for treatment can itself be abused, right? Um, and so then because it can be abused, the clinical community limits how much they're going to give to you. Um, but this presents a real problem for people that are trying to get their lives back, Um you know, in, in in order, because if you have to, you know, how do you keep a job if you have to go every few days to the clinic and stand in line and get your get your medications right? Um, and and what if you don't live nearby a clinic? You know, so this is another example where the rural areas get left out because if you're 200 miles from a clinic, well, you know, that's just not a practical thing for you to do. So you're not going to get your treatment,
0: especially right now during COVID. I'd imagine that's even tougher. <clears throat> it is. So the COVID crisis
1: has absolutely exacerbated the problem. Um, I mean, you know, you were seeing, you know, even with all the money being thrown at the problem over the past couple of years, in 2019, you still had a peak, I believe, in in the number of deaths due to overdose, okay? So, the, it's not getting better, right? Um, and now, I think in 2020, you're going to see those numbers go even higher because of all the issues around social, social isolation, um, just the inability to get to your, you know, to the clinic to get your medication. Um, I mean, this is just driving all the... Factors that uh, lead to this problem to begin with, and uh, and so you know the, the so the 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 advantage of our technology is you know in the application of our technology is well look if you can have an implant if you can fill it with three months worth of drug and you can implant it under the person's skin and then they're just getting their daily dose for three months um, they don't have to go anywhere they just get it and and it works and it keeps them stable. Well, that's a huge advantage for the patient, for the clinical community, for this, for society as a whole, right? So efficient, yeah. Seems like a no brainer. Yes. Well, uh, conceptually, yes. Uh, obviously, the getting there is, is is always the challenge. You know, if if, if it was that easy, somebody would have done it by now. But but that's what you know. We're companies like ours. That's that's how we innovate, and you know, and and. Uh, other agencies have recognized the import of what we're doing because you know we received a three million dollar grant from the Dod a couple of years ago to advance this you know application with our technology um, so uh, you know that's the work that we're doing right now um it's it's a slow process but we're making we're making progress and uh, and uh, it's it's very exciting to think about ultimately what we can do with this once um, this is an approved you know product in in the in the next you know few years so
0: Let's talk about, um, you know, when I read all about all the stuff you've done, I was just pretty much like, okay, where do I start this interview? Because <laughs> you've done a lot of things. I mean, CFO in one company, COO in another company. You've done, uh, and I'm just, I'm going to let you start with the journey, but I know it all started with optics. So yeah. so why don't we go to the very, very beginning and tell me what was your passion around optics and cancer research and whatnot. Yeah,
1: yeah. So it's interesting. Um, you know, I started... Uh, my college career in electrical engineering. Okay. <clears throat> and, um, uh, you know, my freshman year I was getting started, and my dad just happened to mention that he was speaking to a friend of his. And so, you know, I grew up in Rochester, New York. And uh, that at the time was a big sort of optics center, given Kodak was headquartered there, in okay. and Bosch and Lom and Zerus and so forth. And so I think my dad was talking to a friend and he just told him I was you know, heading into college and, and his friend said, well, has he looked into optics? You know, um, It's a great program there at the University of Rochester. So my dad happened to mention that to me you mm-hmm. know, and I thought, well, that's interesting. Let me take a look at that. So I did and I found that I could take a, an initial class in the, in the subject and so I decided to do that. And it um, turned out that the director of the institute was actually teaching the introductory course at the okay. University of Rochester. And he brought a lot of passion to, uh, you know, the subject. And he spent a lot of time just talking about phenomena that we see every day. You know, why does the road shimmer when mm-hmm. it's hot? You know, yeah. on a sunny, you know, a sunny day. Um, why do animals' pupils are they? Why are they different? Why are they different shapes? You know, so on and so forth. And I think I've always been drawn to very visual Mm -hmm. types of activities, and so I found myself really drawn to optics, because it's very visual. You know, uh, in the electrical engineering world, you can't see the electrons that run around in wires, but uh, you shine a white light through a prism, and you see the colors disperse. And Mm -hmm. so the more time I spent kind of doing optics, the more I thought, this is really uh, what I want to do. I was also at the time conflicted a little bit because I wanted to be in the life sciences space, but Hmm. I knew I didn't want to be a doctor. Um, So what I started to do was to think about how I could utilize optics in the life sciences world. Um,
0: What drew you to life sciences? Was that you have family? No,
1: I just think, uh, I feel like, you know, technology is one of of those kind of, education and technology are probably two of the biggest equalizers, if you will, Mm -hmm. in society. In terms of giving people broad access to to a better life, right. you know, better quality of life, mm-hmm. and so, you know, education was a big deal growing up for me because my parents are immigrants, mm-hmm. and you know, for immigrants, education is sort of your ticket, you right. know, to a better life. Yes, mm-hmm. and um, and then I felt like, well, with with the you know, sort of the opportunities I've been given, I wanted to utilize technology to you know, uh, you know, to to to, to develop products and solutions and go after problems, solve problems that can help people.
0: Right.
1: Um, and one of the easiest ways to do that is in the life sciences space. I wasn't as drawn to, you know, one of the big areas for optics is the defense industry. So mm-hmm. a lot of weaponry, yeah. uh, advanced weaponry is is, is uh, based on optical technologies and, you know, uh, uh, a lot of my colleagues are in that space, but mm. I, I kind of wanted to go in a different direction right. and, and utilize it for for the, for the for the medical problems that are out there. So, uh, after graduating from University of Rochester, I went to University of Arizona, which is sort of the other main optics program in the United States, um, to do my graduate work, and they happen to have a sort of concentration in. Um, the life sciences, mm-hmm. so applications of those technologies to medical imaging and biomedical imaging and just generally s- trying to solve um, first see and then solve issues related um, to how our bodies work um, right. and disease. Um, and so, um, you know, it was, a, it was a great, you know, uh, six years in the graduate program yeah. there. I had some amazing professors to work with, but ultimately what I found myself... Doing was being able to work on actually developing sort of tangible technologies um, for um, solving some some big issues and and the main project I ended up on there was to um, uh, develop a essentially a microscope that could go inside the body to uh-huh. look at cells uh-huh. so right now you know if there's a if there's a um, uh, you know, if the doctor suspects that you may have cancer or your tissue may be cancerous, they they take tissue right. out, right? That's the biopsy process. Mm-hmm. And they look at it at a microsc- under a microscope. We were trying to um, develop a technology where they could first go in and look at the tissue right there right. to see at a cellular level whether it looked like it might be cancerous and then either, you know, take tissue or just leave proceed with removing it out or leave it alone, right? right. So, um fascinating project mm-hmm. um, and you know in that time I met some other students that were also interested I've, I've always been interested in entrepreneurship yep. so yep. it was always a goal of mine to start a company because I had spent time as an intern in some very large corporations mm-hmm. and realized that that wasn't for me right. I like to move at a much faster rate mm-hmm. and not be sort of hamstrung by bureaucracy yep. and and, and, of the ladder, and yeah right yeah. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I found some other students that were of a similar mindset. And we, coming out of graduate school, we started a company together to see yes. what we could do mm-hmm. um, with the technologies that we'd all been working on in our graduate program. You know, I was young. I was single. I had nothing to lose. Yeah. So, you know, if I fell fat, flat on my face, I could just go get a job, right. you know, and right. not worry about it. But um, I really wanted to do that. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that started me on the entrepreneurship
0: yeah. uh, learning That's lesson a, yeah 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 <laughs> someone said uh, someone once said to me that uh, being an entrepreneur is like a a spiritual journey was that was that what you kind of looked at or what was the journey like for you yeah journey?
1: it is it is a journey i think um and certainly as i talk to young folks today who are who are starting this process i try to communicate that you know this can't be about how much money are you going to make right um because if you, if you weight it by the probability of, of, of success, yeah. it's actually, the weighted average of, 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 of getting rich is sort of pretty low. Right. So, uh, so it has to be a passion. It yeah. has to be something that you are, um, you know, what you're, or the problem you're trying to solve has to be really meaningful to you. Because mm-hmm. if it's not meaningful to you, it's not going to be meaningful to other people, right? You're trying to convince other people that this is something they need to support.
0: Right.
1: And, um, and if you're just going after sort of an incremental solution to something, then That's fine, you Mm -hmm. know, but if you're really trying to solve some of the bigger problems, you know, I think there was a recent quote by Elon Musk saying that if you're not failing, then you're really not innovating. So so, uh, the spiritual journey is often about what do you do when things aren't working, Mm -hmm. you know, when things are failing, you know, how do you um, sort of uh, muster up the... Um, you know the energy to continue moving forward in, uh, in spite of all the question marks, setbacks, and question marks in your head. You know, <laughs> is this really going to work? Yeah. Why am I doing this? Mm-hmm. so on
0: and so forth. That belief in yourself—it's important. Comes
1: into question. Yeah, and, and it's funny because I think the PhD process was a good training for that. You yeah. know, uh, the PhD is often in a technical field. It's often about doing something that's never been done before. Yeah. So you are experiencing lots of setbacks and failures throughout the process, and are finding, you know, you're, it's your job to figure out, well, how do you actually do this? How do you actually make this work? Mm-hmm. So that was a great training, to kind of for the entrepreneurial world, because you are doing that same it's that same sort of process yeah. of uh, walking through a lot of challenges and and uh, but uh, you know, on the flip side, you know, when you're successful, it's it's
0: just it's a it's a rush, nice. you know, yeah, yeah. 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 You're able to, to call your own shot. The buck stops here. So it's, it's the two edged sword, right? The buck stops here, but the buck stops here. here exactly. <laughs>
1: so it's like well, there's nobody else to blame exactly, if something's not working. Exactly. Right. exactly. Right.
0: It's like reaching that top of the totem pole and being like, okay, who else can help? But there's not there's someone there. But uh, no, that's right. really interesting. So tell me about the, the companies and then the journey and because uh, uh, you've done multiple things CFO for one, CEO
1: for another. Um, yeah. So you know, the first company uh, was called Optical Insights. Mm-hmm. Um, we uh, Started working on, um, so we were we were using um, w- one of the other partners' their technologies that they had uh, developed during the PhD program, and we proceeded to commercialize with that uh, commercialize the first product with that technology, and 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 you know we were trying to essentially create a non-contact uh, temperature measurement system for uh, manufacturing processes where things are very hot, Cut. like steel mm-hmm. manufacturing things like that. And um, and it was one of the classic pivots where we kind of were trying to do this and we really weren't getting a lot of traction and we were at a trade show and somebody said, hey, have you thought about using this in the biological world? Mm-hmm. Because there's a huge need to be able to do what you're doing when you're studying cell structure and cell function and so forth. And we thought, well, that's such a great idea. Um, and I think we can do that. And uh, so we pivoted. We reworked this, the the product, and then you know started to market it, and we started to gain traction and sell. Um, it was slow. It was challenging, mm-hmm. um, you know. And uh, and you 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 have this moment in time always with a with a startup where it's it's a sort of a do or die moment, and mm-hmm. you decide: are you gonna are you gonna die, or are you gonna are right. you gonna step up and just try of to course. push through? Right, mm-hmm. and so. We kind of reached that point about four years into the company. Mm-hmm. You know, the three partners we all sat down and said, "Okay, you know, because um, we had had some issues with the the product that we were selling. There right. were some sort of technical um, setbacks right. uh, that our customers were starting to report, and mm-hmm. so this sort of became, okay, now what do we do?" Exactly. You know? So. Um, so we sat down and we said, okay, what are we going to do? And ultimately it boiled down to the fact that we had all made it, uh, uh, We had all agreed with each other that we would do this for five years no matter what, right. right? That was, you know, we were committed to this for five years. And so we reminded each other of that and said, okay, we're only in the, this is year four, so we have one more year, right? Yeah. And so we just put our heads down, kept going, solved the problem, you know, won our customers confidence back Mm -hmm. and year five was the turnaround, you know, and then three years later we ended up being acquired. So, um, so I think, you know, that was, and so I spent a lot of time after that sort of reflecting on that eight year journey, you know, what we did right, what we did wrong. Mm -hmm. And, um, but I also knew at the end of that journey that I didn't want to do optics anymore. Right. You know, um, and I think it's because, I always feel like uh in order to for personal growth, you know, you kinda have to reinvent yourself.
0: Yep. Right. Yep. And uh well, Life in, life unfolds in front of you is what I'm what I'm finding. Yes. Uh, from my own journey. And then everyone I interview and talk to others, um, I was in financial planning and now in media. Yeah, right. But right. it was something in financial planning that, that taught me that I needed to go to media and and what it was was I was seeing college costs soar. And parents' uh, in, uh, income doesn't soar, and, and I saw this disparity, and then I, I asked myself, "Why is, are we thinking like herd mentality and doing things just because?" Right. Why? And then, and then after twenty years of it not changing, me waiting for it to change, I find it said, "Well, if nobody's going to do anything about it, I am." And so yeah. I started a media company, interviewing entrepreneurs—the good, bad, and the ugly—sharing stories because I wanted people of in the public to identify with the creators, yeah. with the founders, and look at that spiritual journey. So it's been four years now and I, I love it. I've learned so much. Yeah, And uh, hearing stories like yours are really inspiring. And they also reaffirm the journey that one's on. So I hope that audience picks up on that, that you can go do something for a while, yeah. eight years. I really love the part of your story where you're like, <laughs> we sat in four years in, but we had a commitment. And one thing about you know, I, th- I believe everybody, but especially entrepreneurs, you have to have integrity. Yes. Integrity to yourself uh, because you have this belief in yourself and you have to have the integrity for that belief. So if you've made a commitment for five years and you were four, for for, yeah. I, I love that that was the deciding factor. Yeah. It was important,
1: mm-hmm. you know, um, and, uh, cause you can, you can do a lot of over analysis, mm-hmm. but ultimately it boils down to, you know, some, some very really simple yeah. things, you know, so, uh, yeah, so I spent a lot of time after, um, you know, it was sort of a four-year sabbatical, probably that I that I took, and and you know all this sort of unfolded in between Arizona and New Mexico at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, after I sold the company, uh, you know, I spent some time, you know, sort of traveling around and sort of thinking about what I wanted to do next. Uh, I had happened to meet a lovely uh, lady in Arizona who was originally had come from Austin. Mm-hmm. She had gone to school here. And um, and so, you know, as things progressed with her, okay. she said, well, I want to go back to Austin. Yeah. And I said, that sounds great because have I, no <laughs> yeah, I have uh, no strings here in Tucson and let's go, uh, you know, I know that that's a great entrepreneurial culture there and maybe I'll find my next gig when I get to Austin. Yeah. So uh, we arrived in late 2009, in mid 2010, I received a random call from a gentleman who was one of the uh, co-founders of Xeris Pharmaceuticals. And um, he was looking, so they were they were a nascent startup uh, mm-hmm. in the Bay Area. He was looking to move the company out of California because he had been there for a long time and said, I don't want to do another startup in California. Yeah. So he was on a site search. Something about uh, the
0: expense and... Oh yeah, the regulations
1: <laughs> and the expense. And, and But also, you know, you're yeah. a bit of a small, I mean, you're a small fish in a big sea right. in the Bay Area, yeah. right? And. Um, and so uh, he was sight searching around the country. You know, he had gone to Arizona and happened to run into somebody who I knew, and she said, she had counseled him, look, don't come to Arizona to, to, to start a biotech company. Uh, the people, they don't really, investors don't really understand that right, business here. Right, right. Um, but go to Texas, because at the time, Texas was putting a lot of money out for, to attract these types of, types of companies. Okay. And um, she said, if you go to Texas, go to Austin and call this guy Josh." And so he called me and, um, so this is another one of those sort of life lessons is that things happen randomly and you just have to kind of be prepared when they happen Mm -hmm. to, you know, sort of seize, um, the opportunity. Mm -hmm. Um, so he called me and I said, look, I've only been here six months, um, but I've been networking a lot. So if you want to come out, I'm happy to, you know, kind of show you around and, uh, Introduce you to folks, and so he came out, and we had a good two or three days. And you know, at that point, uh, I was very interested because this wasn't—I had always been interested in the pharma industry, mm-hmm. like understanding how it works and how do you get a product to market. And it, it, it sort of fit in my sort of profile of activities, where it's still in life sciences, and you know, uh, and it's a, and a very challenging business, right? Yeah. And so I just decided that I, I said, "Listen, I, I'd like to work with you on this, and um, I can certainly—I don't have any experience in the farming industry, yep. but I certainly know how to, you know, bootstrap
0: a company when there's sort of nothing there, right?" So. Uh, I think that's really key, Josh. Um, and for the audience out there. Um, a lot of times they think they're going to go to college and learn everything they need for their career. And that's just the tip of the ice. That's just the starting point. That's just the starting you know, point, like yeah. It's like it kind of gets, gets you started, and then you build your network, and then life unfolds literally yeah. in front of you. And you've yeah. got to be willing to say yes and take that chance.
1: You do. And, you know, I I think of college and just education in general, and there's two aspects to it. One aspect is the knowledge part, mm-hmm. right? Like the actual information that you're learning, you yeah. know, Um uh, when something happened, what year was a war, so on and so forth, right? Mm-hmm. History or whatever, what's what's the formula for this? But the other aspect of it is the deeper part, which is actually learning how to think, right? right? How to deconstruct problems and then rebuild, yep. you know, and solve the bigger problem by the solutions to the little pieces, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that is a, probably one of the most important, um, I think, uh, learnings for me throughout my education is is, lear- is understanding how you do that. Yeah, the critical right? thinking part. Critical thinking yeah. part, right? So, um, uh, yeah, so, you know, uh, he said, great. He goes, we don't really need you for the pharma piece. We have that side of it, but I uh, would love for you to bring your experience in terms of how do you, you know, start with nothing effectively right. and, and go from there. So, you know, uh, I joined that team. You know, over six years, we raised sixty million dollars. Wow. You know, uh,
0: and for those of you that don't know how to, that don't haven't been through the raising experience, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a lot of rejection. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you have some thick skin. Thick skin is right, right. You know, but it it also speaks to a kind of resiliency. You yeah. know, where you a lot of people are telling you, well yeah, you know, that's great what you're doing. We don't really see the value of it, right? Right. Um, And and so, you know, uh, with Xeris, the technology was a chemistry technology that um, uh, the real promise of it was to take uh, drugs that currently require refrigeration, Mm -hmm. you know, um, or you have to mix them at the time of use and to make those sort of just ready-to-use products, right? So... Um, you know, imagine. So, so, in the diabetes world, there is um, at the time there was only one approved medication for treating severe hypoglycemia. Mm-hmm. This is where you crash in your mm-hmm. sugar and you you pass out. You know, or you go into a seizure, mm-hmm. right? And so, um, you need at that point you can't eat anything. Um, you shouldn't be putting anything in your mouth. Uh, you need an injection mm-hmm. of a hormone called glucagon, which then brings your sugar back up, mm-hmm. right? So the only product at the time was a kit where the glucagon was in a powder form, and you had to, you know, inject water into the vial, mix it up, draw it back in, and then inject it. Well, you know, the, the, the laypers, common lay is not going to do that, right? Um, and they're totally freaked out because exactly. their so was loved one is, is you know, in a, in a difficult situation, mm-hmm. so they call nine one one, right? Yeah. And uh, so, of course, the problem is, is that this person needs the sugar right now, mm-hmm. but they're still waiting 30 minutes to get their sugar, right? Yeah. So, um, so the, one of the very initial applications of this technology was to um, create an EpiPen-style product that you just – it's ready to go. You just pull the cap off and inject. And uh, it was amazing to hear how many people, especially, like, emergency room doctors, saying, oh, we don't see the value of this product. Wow. Right? Uh, why, why? Why wouldn't they just drink some orange juice or whatever? You know, and I mean, I was just shocked, right? Because oh. when you actually talk to the patients, mm-hmm. they were like, "Please, oh my God, this is amazing! Yeah. You know, we would love to see this product on the market." And um, and so, you know, it, it's an interesting lesson in 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 thinking about, you know, all the naysayers, mm-hmm. and then you have to ask yourself, well, are they right or are we right? Exactly. Yeah. Right. And that's and and that's hard, right, um, to fight upstream, you know, uh, like that. But I think what I found was that as we were going down this path of developing this product, we would get random, I would get a random email from, you know, from people all the time mm-hmm. saying, I am a parent of a type 1 diabetic, and I hear that you are working on this. Um, you know, this is fantastic. We're rooting for you to uh, be successful in this program, wow. right? We would get nurses, we would get people, and I would circulate those emails around to mm-hmm. the team, and I'd say, this is why we are doing this, yeah. right? And that would give you a lot of sort of, you know, energy to fight against the the naysayers, mm-hmm. if you will. Yeah, yeah. And the lesson in that story is that today, that product we started on is now an FDA-approved product. Wow. It, is av- it is available for people with diabetes um, to administer to their loved ones, um, and and really d- takes a lot of the stress away from having to handle that situation.
0: Well, oh. congratulations on seeing that all the way through, and I'm sure there's so many people in the audience that are like thankful for that as well. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, it, that was you know to me the biggest win there. Mm-hmm. You
1: know, not that the company went public or this or that. It was that that product's on the market. Yeah, and that's yeah. really what
0: we want. And you to changed accomplish. the world yeah. because of that. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. And so now you're doing that. Two companies, nanotechnology yes. and software. Yes. So while I was
1: at Ziris, mm-hmm. um, I was responsible for managing um, the manufacturing development, if you will. So there's, you know, there's the clinical development, mm-hmm. and there's the manufacturing side, mm-hmm. which people kind of sometimes forget about. Yeah. Um, and you know, as you're developing a, uh, a product, the FDA wants to know not only is it safe and efficacious, but can you control the quality as you scale up the volume of manufacturing. That's a big deal, right? And, um, and often can be even more challenging than the clinical side. So um, we were in this phase of sort of scaling up as we were moving through our clinical trials and uh, being new to the pharma industry, I was asking our consultants, I said, well, what tools do you use to manage all this information that we're generating? Because I'm trying to make decisions about whether we're going to make a $5 million batch. And I don't have all the information in front of me that right. I need to have. Right. And so I'm searching through reports and emailing people to say, where's the status on this and what's going on here. Right. And they're like, no, nah, everybody just uses Microsoft office. What? It's, uh, it's Excel and word <laughs> and PowerPoint. And Visio. And I, wow. thought, I thought, wow, you know, that's, uh, that's, that's, that's challenging. Mm-hmm. So, um, at the time, I couldn't do anything about it. I was sort of having to use the tools that were at hand. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, when the new management team came in to, to commercialize and, and take the company public, um, that was my opportunity to um, think about you know, starting uh, Cherry Circle Software, to mm-hmm. basically create a structured software solution for the pharma industry to manage what is often Six, seven, eight years worth of work, mm-hmm. right? All the information that comes from that, and have it be in a form that you can access it readily, and uh, and really use the data that you're generating instead mm-hmm. of having it be buried in reports and documents that you can't find. So, um, I reached out to a friend of mine. He happened to be my neighbor first over mm-hmm. on the east side, mm-hmm. and um, great guy, uh, Ryan Chillington. He um, long sort of pedigree in enterprise level development. But you know this is sort of another one of those lessons about entrepreneurship is that it's like a marriage mm-hmm. right whoever mm-hmm. you're going to do this with you need to have complete confidence that these people have integrity as right, well right? Right, right um and so you know Ryan is somebody I got to know first as a as a neighbor and then a friend mm-hmm. and you know he's just one of the he's one of the nicest you know smartest nicest people I've ever met wow. and um and uh and so I asked him, I said, you know, I called him up. I said, what are you doing these days? And he said, ah, I'm not doing anything particularly fun, um, <laughs> <laughs> working for private equity. And uh, and so I said, okay, well, I said, here's, um, here's an idea I have, mm-hmm. right? And I said, and, I, and really the thing here is I want to start a software company with you because I think you're a great person. I think you're very talented. And I think together we can we can make some magic happen, you know? Mm-hmm. So uh I reached out to him and explained what I wanted to do, and he was like, "I'm in." You nice. know? And so that launched, you know, um, that sort of th- that that product type. You know, we raised some money. Uh, uh, you know, software is a much lower um, sort of capital requirements yes. associated with that than with pharma mm-hmm. in, in general. So, um, so yeah, so we've been on that journey for a couple of years together now, and um, you know, he's developed, he's built a phenomenal solution. Um, that's being really well received by industry, um, especially in a time when, you know, they are very challenged with their sort of digital maturity, if you will. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they they have not come uh, nearly as far along as other industries have. Um, and they're starting to see some of the results of that in the sense that, you know, there's a lot of drug shortages due to quality issues. There's a lot of recalls. I mean, these are things that even though, you know, people don't think about the manufacturing side have direct impact on people's lives. You yeah. know, cancer medications, blood pressure medications, things that are, we use every day mm-hmm. which are challenged because of manufacturing and quality issues. And so, um, you know, uh, yeah, we just have a phenomenal team of people around this um, that are all over the world. And uh, so it's and, – and, you know, this company is a – we're really focusing on culture. Right. Um, the other lessons of life of doing this entrepreneurship stuff is that it's all about the people, mm-hmm. because no, no uh, program where you're trying to solve a very difficult problem proceeds without setbacks, right? Right, right. and challenges. Mm-hmm. So you That's just right. have to have people who are talented enough to solve the problems. Right. Face right? them and it's, it's all not them get right. yeah. So it's all about the people, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and, uh, and so we just have a, a great team. And um, and so, you know, while we were thinking about getting Cherry Circle started, you know, when I left Xeris, I was approached by some uh, investors in Xeris who had also invested in Nanomedical. And they said, you know, hey, we see you're leaving Xeris. Um, would you be interested in at least sort of taking a look at what's going on at Nanomedical? Mm-hmm. Um, we think that the company has some great uh, technology. Um, but we need some help on the commercialization side, right? So I said, okay, you know, I uh, so I went and looked at the technology, and I thought it was fantastic. You know, this this whole idea of being able to implant a small device that's mm-hmm. filled with drug that can give you your daily dose without you having to think about it um, in a very sort of elegant and simple package was to me very compelling, and. You know, at the time, the company was a little bit challenged financially, and I thought, uh, what a shame it would be to lose this technology just because the company ran out of money. Right. Right? Um, and so, you know, uh, um, and so I decided to kind of join and help. And so we uh, came in. We got everything restructured. We got some money raised. And then we went and um, got a nice grant from the DOD mm-hmm. to fund um, the 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 first sort of um, so so you know uh, I felt like a great application to this technology would be for for treating opioid addiction. Okay. Right, and uh, it turns out that the DoD has a huge problem with this internally, both within um, sort of veterans, veteran population, and
0: with active duty personnel. Can right. I, I want to stop for a sec, yeah. sure, <laughs> and I think I know what nano is. I've I've, I've kind of done some research on that. But for our audience, can we dive into uh, the nanotechnology a little bit Sure. And what these are?
1: Absolutely. So uh, the best way i describe this is think of an hourglass, mm-hmm. right? In an hourglass, you have a reservoir at the top and a reservoir at the bottom, and you have this pinch point in the middle, right? And the sand grains sit in the reservoir at the top, and the pinch point forces a constant stream mm-hmm. of uh, the sand grains to right. come out, right? So just take that analogy and shrink it way down into the nanoscale, mm-hmm. and instead of sand grains, think of drug molecules. Okay. And so, and instead of one pinch point, you have like tens of thousands in of pinch bo- points in right? your body. Uh, no, no, in the in the chip. Okay. It's, it's, it's a it's a little chip that they make. Okay. So like a semi like a you know computer chip, mm-hmm. right? Um, it's the same manufacturing process, except it's not moving electrons around. Okay. Um, it's just uh, has these very um precise channels that have been etched into the chip mm-hmm. um, the, and there's thousands of them, mm-hmm. and the drug molecules just kind of filter through like an hourglass okay and uh, and so then the drug molecules just kind of stream out constantly and you'd think, well what's the big deal? Well, the big deal is that the industry has not been able to figure out how to deliver drugs constantly when you implant something, so there's a lot of implantables. Mm-hmm. But the implantables tend to kind of give you a big burst up front. Mm-hmm. And then kind of it, the the amount sort of release decays over time. So you never actually get like a constant, you mm-hmm. know, like a flat line of release, right? right. Well, mm-hmm. this technology actually gives you that flat line. Wow. And um, and so that's what was so compelling about it, right? Um, does it need recharging or does it just? It's a passive device. Okay. Yeah, so um, now there are, New generations that we're also working on, one, for example, is a refillable version. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you can implant it. Um, right now, the, the device you implant it, you have to take it out after three or six or 12 months Got and it. put a new one in. But imagine being able to just refill it while right. it's right in your body, yeah. and then you don't have to take it out, nice. right? Um, another prototype that's been developed is one where you can change the amount that's being mm-hmm. released, you know, or turn it off or turn it back on, you know, so now it's more of a remote control kind of a a device. So some of this stuff is kind of, you know, Tron futuristic futuristic. kind (laughs) of, but, uh, but you know, this is, this is the idea of, and I guess it's been sort of my lifelong journey of trying to um, not only develop new technologies, but figure out a way to commercialize them. So people can get the, get the advantage of it. There's a lot of, great ideas that get developed and mm. prototyped in the lab and they never see the market the because yeah. people don't really think about how to take the next t- step, t- take that. Yeah. How to do that. Right. That's so, uh,
0: really incredible. Yeah. So as you know, we're doing this, uh, a podcast, uh, Science in the mall, y'all. For uh-huh. ACC, I love this, <laughs> right? And and the idea really is is for a community to understand all the hard work that is that ACC is doing. This biosciences lab uh, that is there, and so I, I want to. Kind of from your frame of mind, you know, how has that helped? How that how does that help entrepreneurs and, and what your experiences have been? Because you mentioned something earlier, investing in biosciences is a much larger ask than in in software. And part of that is the equipment, I would imagine. Yes, it is. There's a lot of there's a lot of sort of tangible
1: resources that have to go into um, developing and then testing, you know, everything that you're doing. Um, Yeah, you know, this has been a conversation that's been going on in Austin the entire 10 years I've been here. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, when we started with Xeris, we were part of the Austin Technology Incubator. And now you have a lot more sort of incubators. But at the time, ATI didn't have any lab space. And so that was always one of the challenges was that as we were starting to get money and grow at Xeris, we needed A place to do our own work Mm -hmm. um you can outsource for a while Mm -hmm. but outsourcing gets very expensive to cro's and cmos and so forth and and you know after a while you need to be able to do your own work internally before you ship it out to somebody else to kind of to kind of work with right Right. um and so you know there's been lots of talk about building sort of dedicated you know lab-based incubators and so forth and the challenge for Austin has always been that there isn't enough critical mass. You know, this is not Kendall Square. This is not, you know, South San Francisco Mission Bay. We don't have hundreds of companies, you know, getting funded, you know, uh, at a time in, in this area. Um, and so uh, it's been a challenge, I think, for people to figure out, well, how do we, how do we get the critical mass but at the same time you can't get the critical mass till you have the resources right, that right. you know so it's chicken, chicken and egg, egg <laughs> problem yeah exactly <laughs> um so you know i think i think uh, what acc did was a, was was really fantastic i think what they you know working with the etf and some of the other um uh, organizations around here uh you know getting money to at least start uh small mm-hmm. right and um and already they're kind of pretty full right yeah, so yeah. um uh, but it is it's invaluable for companies like ours because mm-hmm. being able to virtualize like that in the local community is really important and valuable. and um, and so probably you know a middle ground is some more investment mm-hmm. to create some of this additional you know uh, resource would be probably really fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is really invaluable and uh, certainly makes it possible for us to operate in this very virtualized, capital-efficient mode until we can get the data and get far enough along where then you get the investment to then, you know, really fund your own
0: yeah. resources at that point. So, Makes sense. Yeah. I absolutely love your story and your journey. And, you know, for those students that are out there, or people, you know, mm-hmm. not to be a student, but um, what would your advice be as far as, as life opens up in front of them? Well, you know, a couple of things. One,
1: talk to anybody who wants to talk to you, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I... I think sometimes we get a little bit too insular and we say, well, yeah, I don't have time to talk to that person. But I have found that sometimes a conversation that you expected to yield absolutely nothing changes your life, right? So take the time to take a meeting, talk to somebody, um, just get out there and, and put yourself out in, in, in front of folks. You know, um, we have a, a young gentleman that works for us at Nanomedical. Um, his name is Mitchell Greenberg. And, you know, I met him a few years ago as part of, um, so Austin Technology Incubator used to have a, a summer uh, entrepreneurship accelerator program called SEAL. Mm-hmm. And um, and so, you know, teams from universities would come, they'd have an idea, um, they'd get mashed up with a mentor, and, uh, and then you'd spend the summer with them them trying to figure out whether we're going to start a company based on this right idea Mm -hmm. and so i got matched up with mitchell he had a he was working on a on an idea to um uh, a bandage that would have a blue light as part of it to help Mm -hmm. keep infection down Mm -hmm. and with my optics background it was a good fit so you know i met mitchell and um it was a great summer you know working with him um and you know, I think he learned a lot from it, but um, at the time I thought, oh, this young guy is really, he's really impressive, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, so he went back to do his MBA and master's, uh, dual degree MBA and master's in biomedical engineering at A&M. Mm-hmm. And when he came out, you know, I said, listen, come, I, I know you want to start your own thing. I said, but come work for me for mm-hmm. a while. You'll, you'll get to do things that in at Medtronic or Abbott you wouldn't get to do for 10 years. Wow. So you'll learn Mm -hmm. A ton. And then you can go, you know, once we've built MetaMedical, you can go do whatever you want to do, right? So Mm -hmm. anyway, he came on and he's been been phenomenal. But I think the lesson there really is that if you're out there, these kind of opportunities just don't happen. Um, You have to be out there. um, And then when you're out there, you get connected with these kind of things. Mm -hmm. And then you need to... Yeah, sometimes just have the courage to seize the opportunity and go, you know, I don't know, this is not a steady job, it's not a steady salary, but
0: I'm young, it doesn't matter, um, I'm going to go for it. I do talk to universities at times and talk about the things I've learned from entrepreneurism. And one of the things I tell students is your network, the people around you, even though you have fellow students and... You know, these days there's all kinds of ghosting and you don't treat people with respect. Change that. Change that, yeah. Respect people because you never know yeah. five yeah. years on the road what this person's going to be or where he's going to be at. And at the end of the day, we're an ecosystem. All of us depend on each other. It's no, you know, too. exactly. So, yeah. And the other thing I, have you know, try to tell, especially young
1: engineers, is that, look, as sexy as technology is and as much as everybody's, you know, getting you to focus on coding and AI and this and that, so you don't learn to think unless you know the humanities, right? Yeah. So take the time to study the arts and the humanities and and have an appreciation for it because you can't be a good engineer if you can't appreciate those things and you can't communicate with other people. So, um, you know, learn how to write, learn how to read. Um, I have found that some of the biggest breakthroughs I've had in terms of trying to solve a techno- technological problem is remembering information related to a com- completely different subject mm-hmm. and bringing that over to this to solve this problem. Oh, yeah. Um, it has happened to me time and time again, mm-hmm. and I wouldn't have
0: been able to do it if I hadn't had that broader exposure. It's yeah. funny; it reminds me of you know you see this in movies all the time where they're trying to solve something, and all of a sudden something left yeah. field comes in their head, and it's like, oh, that's the answer. That's the answer, but it, right? It really happens. It does happen, yeah. Well, yeah. thank you so much for being on this show. I've really enjoyed uh, this conversation, getting to know you better, and I know our audience has uh, will as well, and the advice that you're able to to give them. Well, thank you. Really appreciate the opportunity to share my story and uh, happy to do it again anytime. Sounds good. All right. Thank you again to our guest, Josh. I'm still so fascinated by his journey. To learn more about nanomedical systems and Austin Community College's Bioscience Incubator, a link is in the show notes. Science in the Mall, y'all, is created in partnership between Founding Media and Austin Community College Bioscience Incubator.